0: Lord God, I pray that Your Spirit would anoint Your Word. Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and help us to grow tonight. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to trust You more. Lord, bring us closer to You in an understanding of why we are here on this earth. And help us, God, to persevere in the mission that You've given us, Lord. But God, we look forward to one day being with You just as was prayed. And Lord, we look forward to seeing You work in our lives Lord, and even tonight as we study your word. So I ask for your anointing once again upon your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. April 29, 2011 was the day that Prince William and Catherine, or Kate, Middleton, were married at Westminster Abbey in London, England. It was a wedding full of majesty, you can call it, as royal wedding should be. Did you know that an estimated $2 billion people watched from more than 180 countries in the world. <coughs> Excuse me. Facebook said that 2.8 million British and Americans put up status updates. Twitter logged 237 tweets a second during the whole wedding. One million people packed London. 5,000 police were deployed. 17 major roads were closed. And the government made the wedding day an official holiday <laughs> how you like that for that wedding 187 horses 187 horses with hundreds from 3 military branches were part of the procession of the wedding parade the guest list was 1900 <laughs> which included the royal family members politicians diplomats and foreign dignitaries at the end of the wedding ceremony Uh, Ten bells from the thousand-year-old Westminster Abbey rang for three hours. (laughs) Uh, They say the cost, the cost of the wedding, you're probably wondering, $34 million. The flowers alone were $800,000. The cake, the cake now, was $80,000. The wedding dress cost four hundred thirty four thousand dollars the train was eight feet eight inches long and the security alone they said for all this that went on thirty two million dollars no wonder cbs news called this the modern majesty i mean this was a royal wedding and so much glory glory and and majesty was put into it well tonight we continue here in our study through the book of luke and jesus gives three disciples a peek into what the king of kings is really like jesus reveals himself in all his majesty glory and honor they get the glimpse of his majesty and that's the title of our message tonight the glimpse of of his majesty. We're going to be studying Luke chapter 9 from verse 27 through 36 tonight. And four things we're going to see in our outline. Number one, the unforgettable transformation. Number two, the unforgettable conver- conversation. Number three, the unforgettable suggestion. And number four, the unforgettable affirmation. So let's begin here. Number one in our outline, the unforgettable transformation now we're going to be covering verses 27 through 29 in this section but let's begin here luke chapter 9 uh, beginning at verse 27 it reads here but i tell you truly there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of god now let's stop right there we begin actually with the End of what Jesus has been teaching on His mission and the mission of His followers, the disciples. And last week we taught our message, the mission. Explain. Now, I could have added that last week. Uh, may, maybe in your Bibles, the paragraph is put together with uh, verse twenty-six, verse twenty-seven. Uh, it's put together in the paragraph with verse twenty-six, but I opted to put it into this side of our section and how we're dividing up chapter nine and in my defense you know back then you know original scriptures didn't have little paragraph marks well anyway (laughs) don't judge me here no just just joking uh we i could have put it in there but i wanted to begin with this actually as jesus ended his teaching his message to the disciples here in verse 26 now in verse 26 if you remember he talked about if you look over there for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. so the idea here is the glory of jesus going to be coming so not to be ashamed not to reject him or jesus will reject you at that time so the focus goes now into the glory of jesus so that's why in verse 27 jesus ends up his teaching saying like hey but you know what I'll tell you something, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now when he means kingdom of God, he's really... Talking about the glory of Jesus Christ. That's really the idea here Jesus is talking about. Now some say the glory of Christ or this kingdom of God is really speaking about the spread of the gospel into the world and salvation coming to people. And we know that happened in the book of Acts and God did a, a wonderful thing in spreading gospel all until uh, up until this day even. And it's going on that the kingdom of God is being spread through the 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 spreading of the gospel and people getting saved well some say it's really talking about that some say it speaks of when they when the disciples saw Jesus resurrected so as we're focusing more on the glory of Jesus from verse 26 some say well they saw Jesus resurrected he was in his glorified body so we saw him glorified in that way and there's a third view in this, what Jesus is saying. Hey, some of you are not going to die, not taste death until you see God's kingdom or the glory of Jesus. Some say it really speaks of the passage that we're going to see today. That right before all this, that Jesus is saying, you know, some of you guys here are going to get a glimpse of my glory. That's our, our title. Now, that's what I believe. I believe that this is what Jesus was really talking about. He was talking about what's coming up right here next in what we're going to see and i'll tell you all three gospels matthew mark and luke ties this prediction to what we're going to see next they they run it along in the same way so i feel like jesus was really referring to how some of the disciples are going to see him they're going to get a glimpse of his glory and here's what happens look at verse 28 now It says in verse 28, Now about eight days after these saints, so I like that after, right, that he said this, and all that he taught, he took with him Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. So eight days later, after the mission was explained, what we saw last week, all that happened there, after he predicted that some of the disciples won't die, taste death, until they see this glory of Christ. Well, eight days later, uh, then... This happens. Now, you may be thinking, hey, wait, maybe you're saying, hey, wait, in Matthew and in Mark, they both say six days. There seems to be a little contradiction going on here in Mark 17 or Mark 9 and Matthew 17. Well, uh, some of the commentators say, you know, what probably is, is Luke includes partial days and that kind of makes sense to me maybe a, you know the day before and a day after where where Matthew and Mark are saying no it's exactly this these number of days so anyway you could study that on your own if you were thinking about that and I know you are all thinking about that no so Jesus now takes Peter John and James and he went up the, the mountain to pray now Peter, James and John, Peter, John and James. They're like the inner circle of of the group of disciples. Out of the 12, the closest ones were Peter, John and James. They were I believe like more the leader guys and they're the ones closest to Jesus. So so that's why he took this inner circle of disciples with him. They went up to the mountain and traditionally up on this mountain, it is Mount Hermon. It's believed to be Mount Hermon, which is by Caesarea Philippi, if you remember. Caesarea Philippi, where we, they were eight days ago, or six days ago, eight days ago, was at the foot of Mount Hermon. So now they go up to the mountain, and they go up to the mountain. And what do they go up to do? Well, it says here in verse 8, they go up to the mountain to pray. And the thing is, great things happen when you pray, Right? especially when you meet with God. So then it goes on in verse 29. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. So here they're up on the mountain. They've been praying. And then as Jesus was praying, suddenly it says his face was uh, altered. The appearance of his face was altered. It transformed is the idea with that word, altered. And then Jesus, his clothing became dazzling white. And, and uh, the actual Greek word that talks about, it flashed out like lightning. But it wasn't like a quick kind of thing like lightning, but the brightness of how lightning is, that's what it's talking about, it came out, it began to glow, this bright, hot, white Color, if you imagine lightning just staying on there, but all of Jesus' clothes was like that. So, what we're seeing right at this moment, there is the unforgettable transformation going on with Jesus. This is what, aka otherwise known as the transfiguration, the transfiguration. Jesus basically peeled back his humanity and revealed his deity. So, you think about it that way; he peeled back this humanity and revealed his deity. Now, take a moment, turn to Matthew chapter seventeen, and in the parallel passage here, if you go to the left, past mark to Matthew to verse to chapter seventeen of Matthew to verse two, you'll see where that transfiguration word really comes from and here Matthew. Uh, Chapter 17, verse 2, it says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So you see the word transfigured there. That's the idea. This transfiguration, this transformation happened to Jesus. Now, understand something about this word transfigure. We see in Matthew 17 verse 2. Understand that this transfigured, that word means a transformation that comes from the inside. It's not like a spotlight came down on Jesus, right? And he's in the spotlight now and you can see him glowing because of this bright light coming down on him. No, it's not like this outside light coming on Jesus or a heavenly spotlight coming down. No, but what it is, is it's his glory, his deity was being let out. And with that, we see his true nature, so the word transfigured here in Matthew 17 describes a change on the outside that comes from the inside. I was thinking about, it's, it's kind of like Superman, right? When he peels back his shirt and tie and, and exposes that big S, right? That's the idea. Jesus peeled back his humanity and we saw his deity in all this glowing and this bright white dazzling light. So you can see, going back to Luke chapter 9, you can, you can say, Jesus pulled back the curtain and revealed his true glory and majesty. That's what the transfiguration is about. This is the unforgettable transformation that right before the disciples' eyes, that they saw Jesus. They saw his humanity peeled back. They saw his deity. Jesus pulled back the curtain and revealed his true glory and majesty. You know, scientists has discovered a star that is 300 times the mass of our sun. And they, they discovered it at this European Southern Observatory. They n- numbered it. I guess that's their name. R126A1 was found in the center of, a, of the Tarantula Nebula. I guess there's a, maybe it looks like a spider. I don't know. But they say it is the most luminous star ever found. They say it's close to 10 million times brighter than our sun. Can you imagine? I mean, our sun is pretty bright already, but 10 million times brighter. But you know what? Jesus is even brighter than all that because He's God and in all of His glory. And I think we got to stop and understand as we're looking in Luke chapter 9, as we see that his appearance was altered, he was transformed, the transfiguration happened, and his glory was coming up, that the humanity peeled back, and out came the deity. We have to understand and be reminded again who Jesus is. Because I think sometimes we put Jesus on a lower level in our minds and in our hearts than who he really is. I mean, he is our Savior. He is our friend. Jesus is our friend. Right. But sometimes that's all we treat him as. We forget that he is God. He is Lord God. He is the king of kings. He he is majestic in all his splendor and glory and majesty. And that's why we say hallelujah. That's why we say glory to God. That's why we lift them up. Holy, holy, holy. So we need to worship him in that way. And remind ourselves, as the disciples are getting the glimpse of His majesty, you know, we need to get the same glimpse to remind us of who our Lord God Jesus is. So, this is the unforgettable transformation. We see the glimpse of His majesty. Let's go to number two, the unforgettable conversation. The unforgettable conversation. We go on here in chapter 9 to verse 30 and 31 in this section. Let's look at both verses. And behold, verse 32 men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. We'll stop there. Now here's the second amazing thing. I mean, here's Jesus, we're seeing him in his deity, all of his dazzling glory, and this brightness of his clothing, and his face changes, I think it's glowing too. That's a transformation, transfiguration, the alteration that's going on. But here's the second thing. The second thing is Jesus is talking with two guys, two men. Who is this? Well, the scripture tells us right here, at the end of verse 30, that he's talking with who Moses and Elijah. And they're there with Jesus and who appeared in glory. They're glowing too. Their clothes is glowing too. They have heaven's glory. Not the same, I would say, and the deity of Jesus. But them coming from heaven, they're glowing in a sense from heaven's glory. Now, what are they talking about? Interesting thing. It says here in verse 31, they appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Jesus's departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What's this talking about? Well, it's talking about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and then rising again from the dead and departing that, that way. It could be departure from living, but I believe it's everything that is all put together because It says, which he was about to accomplish. Dying isn't something you accomplish, right? It seems like more the end. But we know why Jesus died on a cross is for our sins. And that's what he was to accomplish there at that place in Jerusalem or at Jerusalem. (laughs) So, Jesus at this point is making his way toward Jerusalem now. Understand this. See, he, he's, he's on the, the, the way heading that way. He, remember, he's heading toward that ultimate mission. He's already, uh, shared with the disciples, right? The, the mission explained last time, what, what's gonna happen to them all. So, he's preparing them. He's heading that way. And he's going to that end of dying on the cross for us all. What was heard then, with Moses and Elijah, when he met with them, was this the unforgettable conversation. The unforgettable conversation. I mean, here's Jesus with Moses and Elijah. They're, they're deliberating. They're talking. They're, they're conversing here about what Jesus is about to do. Now, you ever wonder why Moses... Why is Elijah there? Why, why are the, those two there? Well, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses, right, brought, God used Moses to bring in the law. And the law we understand, right, shows us what's right from wrong. It shows us that we, we can't live perfectly you know, before God, that we are truly sinners, and it shows us that we are sinners. And with that, the next step, it shows us that we are in need of a Savior, that we need someone to save us. So the law comes in in that that way. And then the prophets, which Elijah represents, the prophets predicted that God would send a Savior, a promised Savior, someone to save us from our sins, because we need Saving, We cannot save ourselves. There's nothing good or any works that we can do to save ourselves. We need someone to atone for our own sins because we cannot on our own. And so they predicted this promised Savior, uh, the Son of God, who'd come and be that atonement. That was the plan all along. So we have Moses and Elijah really representing all this thought. So this meeting really was to confirm it all, that Jesus is the Lord Messiah who came to save us from our sins. Turn back to Matthew once more, to Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to see this with your own eyes, but in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5 Verse 17 now. Jesus speaking here and he says, um, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So isn't this amazing? Jesus says this back earlier in his, in his ministry. This is the Beatitudes and all the Sermon on the Mount. And, he, and he's expressing look, I, I didn't came to abolish all that, to put that all away. No, I've come to fulfill that. And then there's Moses who represents the law. Then there's Elijah who represents the prophets. And here he's talking with them about what his departure, how he's going to die on a cross when he goes to Jerusalem. And so we see Jesus came to fulfill the law. What does that mean? Jesus came to pay the cost of the penalty of the law so we wouldn't have to that's what that means and then when he said here in, in Matthew 5 17 he says I, um, I, uh, I haven't come to abolish the prophets but fulfill the prophets what's that the prophecies of the Messiah he's the one who's come to fulfill those prophecies saying that a savior would come so all of this comes together as we see Moses Elijah and Jesus Talking here about this plan of God for Jesus to die on a cross and atone for our sins, so the disciples see this the, this unforgettable conversation going on, and what they see, and this is our point: Jesus pulled back the curtain of God's heart and revealed the plan to save us from our sins. That that's what we're really seeing here. We're seeing in Jesus and all His deity and glory and Moses and Elijah, the prophets from before, right there with Jesus all talking. They're hearing this stuff about His departure. He pulls back that curtain now of God's heart of why He came, of what He's here for, and He reveals that plan to save us from our sins. And this is what we see God putting forth now in the transfiguration. You know, I'll never forget the time when Kristen and I were wondering if uh, she was pregnant with our third child. Now, I talked about this before, but I always think back on how, you know, uh, there's a little worry. Kristen was a little older, you know, being pregnant now. And at that time, I was um, in my happened to be my daily reading while we were wondering all this it was in psalm 127 and that's a psalm talking about children right and and i i was reading how children are, are this blessing from the lord and i read verse 5 in psalm 127 that said blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them well as as i read that verse the holy spirit uh spoke to my heart and told me yes you guys are pregnant this 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 is even before we knew for sure And the Holy Spirit told me that we're pregnant, we're going to have a baby, and it's a girl. And I'll never forget that, because the ultrasound confirmed later that it was Janelle, right? You guys know Janelle, right? And so God's plan was for us to have two boys and one girl, and God prepared us now for great things that were coming ahead for us. So here's... God preparing the disciples for the fulfillment of God's plan. Great things are coming. This is His plan. What Jesus had mentioned to them, what Jesus has been talking about, all this is coming together. Moses, Uh, the the law had us come to a place of our need the prophets how they prophesied a savior to come and that's who this jesus is god come from heaven become flesh to die on a cross atone for our sins so god is showing these disciples preparing him unveiling his plan his heart for the people and that great things are ahead and that salvation for our souls perhaps god is giving you a vision Perhaps God is giving you a word or maybe the Holy Spirit come and told you something in your heart. Perhaps he's preparing you, letting you know that. You know what? There's great things coming ahead. But we understand these great things So, for Jesus or salvation for us, I should say, is going to come after the trial, after the suffering, after the pain, after the challenges and struggle. And sometimes that is with us. God may give us a vision. God may give us a a calling, a mission, but sometimes we got to go through some things. But the encouragement and the hope is God has a plan in all of this, and he will fulfill what he has planned. And I think that's the, the, the hope we have. Here we see this incredible miracle—the transfiguration and Moses and Elijah, Jesus and and all of His deity. Well, all of this is showing God's plan in saving the world. And you know what? God's going to fulfill it. We know He did one. The same way, you know, for you and I. If He's preparing you with the vision, maybe He's spoken to you about something. He's preparing you, and He's letting, giving you a glimpse of what He wants to do in your life or what's up ahead. You know what, even though there may be a rough road before that, some struggles or suffering, God will always fulfill his plan. And all of this is like this message from heaven. Think about it, yeah. Literally, you know, with Moses and Elijah coming down and Jesus revealing his deity. So, we see the glimpse of his majesty. We find an unforgettable transformation, an unforgettable conversation. Now, number three The unforgettable suggestion. This is the next two verses, verse 32 and 33 here. Take a look back to Luke chapter 9, verse 32. It says, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. So Peter, James, uh, John, they were heavy with sleep. I suppose Jesus is praying a long time, yeah? Yeah. And they were with Jesus, and maybe they were praying with them, and they fell asleep. Have you ever fell asleep in a prayer, a long prayer meeting? Oh, you don't have to confess. I already know, No, just joking. <laughs> you know imagine the disciples, yeah they're away from everything, they're getting some rest and relaxation. they're up on a mountain, you know it it's nice up there and the, and they're they're just. Right? You're just sitting there praying, and sometimes, oh, you start to doze there, and your eyes, well, they doze asleep. But then they started to wake up. Maybe they're hearing conversation and they wake up. And, and they when they fully awake, they realize what's going on. They see Jesus. All that we have read and, and what's written down here, that's what they see. They see Jesus, his humanity, uh, you know, peeled back, his deity showing. They see Moses and Elijah. They're talking, you know, with Jesus. Can you imagine like, what, what? Is this a dream? You know, pinch me, James, you know, kind of thing. But they're, they're waking up when they're fully awake. They're realizing, whoa, look what's going on. You know, notice something here that they knew it was Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. I mean, how would they know? They never met them, right? They're they're Old Testament saints. You know how they had little name tags on. Hello, my wow. name is Moses. Yeah. Hello, my name is Elijah. No, not really. I I believe this shows us that even that that we'll know each other in heaven. I think there's there's some sense that God revealed that to uh, uh, the disciples, and they knew who they were. And I think that that speaks to us in heaven. We're going to know each other. You know even when I get my glorified body and I have black hair once again and I look nice young and buff and like in well maybe I wasn't too buff in my 20s but hey still you recognize me. Yeah even I think we'll recognize each other. We'll, we'll just know and I feel like that's what we're seeing here sort of a, a little taste of what's coming up ahead. So the meeting ends with Jesus and Moses and Elijah and they're are they're, they're getting ready to go and Peter flash gets this idea in his head and he and he says to jesus hey it's it's good they're here this is so good moses no way moses right elijah oh no elijah oh moses elijah and you jesus oh yeah this is this is like the best time in the whole world the best thing you know what Oh, let's, let's make some tents and we, you know, we'll make tents here and we'll just camp out here the whole time. We'll just, we'll just be together. We'll just, we'll just keep this moment going on longer and longer. Now you have to understand at this time it was uh, coming up to the Feast of Tabernacles or tent in that sense. And the Feast of Tabernacles commemorates uh, how Israel, Exodus, you know, left Egypt. And how God was with them, sustained them all the way in the wilderness. And and so the Feast of Tabernacles is about that. And traditionally what they do is they make these little tabernacles, these little shack buildings to live in for seven days during this festival time. So probably Peter's like, whoa, this is the best Feast of Tabernacles everywhere on Mount Hermon. There's Moses, there's Elijah. And look at Jesus there you know what, Jesus, let, let, let's just stay here. Let's just, let's just make, you know, th- uh, uh, let's camp out here and, and we'll, we'll, we'll commemorate the Feast of Tabernacles by making these tents. But even though it seemed like a pretty good idea, notice what it says at the end of verse 33. It says, not knowing what he said. The NLT translates it, not even knowing what he was saying. In other words, right? Peter just spoke without thinking, you know? He just, he just said it. I'm sure he regrets it to this day, <laughs> you know, because like, it's in the Bible, right? And, and all these years, everyone reads it and studies that. Oh, Peter, um, and Peter's like, Luke, why would you have to write not knowing what he said? I mean, like, like what? I'm sure he's shamed. I'm sure he's embarrassed. So that's why I call this the unforgettable (laughs) suggestion. He's like, oh, it's coming up again. It's coming up again. We do say foolish things sometimes, don't we? I remember Pastor Chuck uh, once saying, better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than open it and dispel all (laughs) doubts. I like that one. And so I want you to see this, that we will learn... It's better to think before you speak what's on your mind. <laughs> yeah? Or we could just say it's better to think before you speak. I mean, James 19 tells us, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And I was just talking to someone the other day how, oh, we, we got to learn to be more quick to hear, not quick to speak, right? More quicker to just listen. And not just talk right away, but slow to speak now how many times we've done that? how many of you right have have spoken without thinking, and then what you say you wish you can reel it back in, but you can't you wish you can you can turn the the clock back you know a little bit so that oh this time i 'll be quiet you know and not respond or react in in that way sometimes we're we're um, more Slow to hear and, and quick to speak. But what we need to do is be slow at our speaking and listen more, process more. You know, I'm trying to learn that too. Don't just say the first thing that pops in your head. A lot of times it's not that great. I'm not saying all the time, but it's usually better. Like, Peter, you probably should have prayed about that before he said something, you know. Um, and you, you probably thought about that later. I'm sure he was excited. I'm sure it's like, whoa, this is awesome! Oh, I want to let's be here forever with these guys, Moses, Elijah. I want to hang out with them. But you know what? I've been trying to stop myself, ask myself, and pray, and just say, you know, Holy Spirit, is this you speaking? Is this what you want me to say? Or is it just me? Or is it my, my flesh? Is it my emotions? You know, sometimes our emotions are going, going. And sometimes those emotions are really flesh-driven, not so much spirit-driven. Ultimately, we want to let God guide our words anyway, right? Right? Ultimately, as we submit to God in, in the areas in our life, we sing, I surrender, and we submit to Him and trying to be obedient and doing right and, and uh, holding to biblical morals and principles and following His will in our life. Well, we need to do that even with our mouth, with our tongue, and su- put that on the altar too. Submit to God the words that we speak because we want our words to glorify God also. We know Peter, right? Peter is known for foot-in-the-mouth disciple, right? He's kind of known for just, just, just speaking out of turn and just thinking what he speaks and impulsive in all that he does and, and, and the words that he says. And, but you know what? After Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit baptized the disciples and he was filled with the power of the disciples, the Holy Spirit took over his mouth. And you know what happened in Acts chapter 2? He stood up and he preached a message. And about, it says about 3,000 people were saved through Peter's preaching. And that's how we should be speaking. To influence, to help people, to, to say what God wants us to say. Turn to Colossians chapter 4 verse 6. Colossians to the right. Colossians. It's after Galatians, it's after um, Ephesians and Philippians, and then you'll come to Colossians. Someone told me a long time ago how to remember, because you have Galatians, um, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. How to remember the order? Go eat popcorn. I like that one. <laughs> That's how I remember it to this day. This was like years ago when I was in college. But Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's what we pray for. All right, let's go on to our last heading the unforgettable affirmation. We've seen the unforgettable transformation, conversion, suggestion, and now the unforgettable affirmation. We'll finish up here Luke back to Luke chapter nine from verse uh, it's we're gonna cover verse thirty four and thirty six, but first thirty four and thirty five, we read here, and Or or as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So as Peter was giving that unforgettable suggestion, (laughs) a cloud then suddenly came overshadowed them all. And you know what that cloud was? That was the Shekinah glory of God. So they knew this wasn't just some cloud. This wasn't rain coming in over Mount Hermon. They could feel it. So that's why it says here that they were afraid, right? Uh, As they entered the cloud, the cloud just came over on this mountain, surrounded them. They could just feel this was something different. And then a voice comes out of the cloud and this is the Heavenly Father speaking again, just as He did at Jesus' baptism, right, water baptism. So then the voice says, the Heavenly Father speaks and He first says, This is my Son. This is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God, the Son sent to die on the cross. This is the Father who sent the Son, John 3.16. That's what we're, we're really talking about. When we talk about the Son of God, or I sometimes say God the Son, is really talking about how God came from heaven to become a man to die on the cross. So the Father's affirming all of this. This is the affirmation saying, hey, this is my Son. This is the one I, I sent. Then the second thing he says My Chosen One. Now, Chosen One is another term for the Messiah. This is the Savior, He's saying. This is the Messiah come to save the world, to bring salvation from our sins, to die on the cross. So He can wash away that guilt. So we can be forgiven of our sins, really be forgiven. This is our Savior to save us from our sins. And then look at the last thing. The third thing we see here, the Father says this now, listen to Him. Follow Jesus. obey Jesus. That, that's really the idea. He speaks the truth of God. Jesus is the truth of God. So the transfiguration that it also brought out what the Heavenly Father says about Jesus, that He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the truth of God. He is who we need to follow and obey. And that's the unforgettable affirmation that's going on here. Now, in all of this, you can see the Father affirming, right, kind of confirming and affirmation of the plan that Jesus has for going to the cross and, and dying for our sins. and and and. But you see the Father lifted Jesus up as God, right? right here. The Father's affirming that here. So you think about it this, this way. I think it was important the Father said something because Peter mistakenly suggested to set up three tents, making Jesus the same level as Moses and Elijah. But that's not Jesus. Jesus is God. He's, a, he's above all that. Notice up in verse 33, right? Peter said to Jesus, Master, You know what? That means like teacher. But the glory of Jesus is not the same as like Moses or Elijah. That's why I say his glory was different. It was a deity kind of glory. They have a heavenly kind of glory from the glorified bodies. But him, him was like that. It's his essence in a sense. And so, Jesus is Lord God and a Father saying, hey, Peter, wait a minute. Just remember, Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. And then, I want you to see that the Father also voiced that obedience is the key. And as I explained, the Father said, listen, right? Follow Jesus. Obey what he's saying. Jesus is going to speak the truth. He is the truth. You see, Peter wanted to prolong this experience with Moses and Elijah. This was like... Oh, we 're up on a mountain, yeah, God is you know showing us these things we 're with the prophets oh I just want to i just I just want to be you know here the whole time, but the point of that experience that disciples had of the Transfiguration was to confirm really the mission that Jesus had to reveal his duty, yes, but to show that Jesus is God, come in the flesh, that this is the plan of God from way before the foundation began that that it it was to confirm and affirm what this mission was like we saw last that mission jesus spoke about last week notice moses and elijah they were returning to that glory in heaven but jesus you know what after this is heading back down the mountain to heading toward jerusalem to his death and so the father's kind of saying listen listen to Jesus. Follow him. Obey him. Follow his path here. Look what's going on. There's no shortcuts here to glory. The way to fulfill God's plan is by listening to what God wants. And God seeks those who listen to him, even if it means going toward your path to Jerusalem. So look at verse 36 now. Our last verse. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So the scene ends. Jesus puts back his shirt and tie. He's no longer Superman. He's uh, Clark Kent, right? And and so here's Jesus in his humanity. And Jesus goes back to normal. The transfiguration is over. And what is it now? Back to the mission. Back to heading toward, making their way toward Jerusalem. Now the disciples, they didn't say a word about what happened here. In Matthew and Mark, they say Jesus told the disciples not to say anything till after the resurrection. Why is that? Because I don't think they fully understood what was going on here. And Jesus wanted them to focus in on the mission that Jesus had to purchase salvation for the world. It wasn't about his glorification or being, you know, his glory, right? Coming in his glory. That's the second coming, right? His first coming was to purchase salvation. And so Jesus saying, look, first, first on this path is the suffering. The path to glory is the path through suffering. I like what John Philip said. His death was no accident It was an accomplishment, like we read earlier. He was in charge throughout the whole appalling affair. So we see Jesus Jesus understanding, Jesus sticking to, Jesus moving forward, knowing what he needs to do on this mission. And so our last point is this. Following Jesus and getting uh, on with the mission is more important than trying to keep that mountaintop experience. And really, that's what we we, we close up here with. This is that thought we want to put in our minds that Peter's like, oh, let's just stay here. But no, following Jesus, the Father said, uh, obeying him, getting on with the mission is more important than trying to keep that mountaintop experience. You know, I remember growing up and going to retreats when I was growing up in Jesus and Uh, up on the mountain and you know it's wonderful right to get away from everything get away from your life uh get up there be get feel so close to god and jesus you feel this experience and and on yeah you guys know but then it comes time to go down the mountain to face the challenges yeah to go through the trials and trouble to to go back to life basically yeah and it's not fun We want to stay up there, up on Mount Hermon forever. But in God's plan, it's time to go down. And that's really what the Father is saying. Hey, listen to Jesus. Follow Him. Obey Him. It's time to come down the mountain and and go continue that, that mission. Now, the mountaintop experience is needed. And so it was for these disciples. But what's more important is to follow Jesus and listen to Him. Sometimes we, we kind of check out trying to keep that mountain experience. Yeah? Yet God has brought some things our way or God has placed us in a certain place or situation. But it's part of God's plan for you to get on with your mission by taking those steps. So let's listen to you and I, listen to what the Heavenly Father is really saying. Yeah, he's saying listen to Jesus, follow Him, obey Him. Keep going like his path. See, it all connects to what we even saw last week about right denying yourself, taking up your cross, following him, right? And so that when we do that, when we stick to that mission, when we follow Jesus, when we obey him, then then our life is really about Jesus, and we'll experience Jesus in greater ways. So let Jesus be your life. Let him. Be the one you follow. Let him be the source of everything in your life. Uh, help, let him be your strength. Let him be, be help you through things. Let, let him be as you follow the mission God has given you. Let it be Jesus who you are with, follow, and cling to. I'll close with this. A long time ago when Lord Tennyson was poet laureate, uh, he was a famous poet, poet in England he was walking one day with a friend in his garden talking on subjects of public interest of that time now the poet's friend was a believer in the Lord and sought as an opportunity to testify for him pausing for a moment in their conversation he took the poet by the arm and quietly asked what do you think of Jesus Christ well Tennyson pointed to a flower blooming in all its beauty by the pathway and said as the sun is to that flower so Jesus Christ is to me. I love that. Now, I don't know if he really became a believer, but what he said speaks to my heart, you guys. I want to cling to Jesus. I want to follow. No matter what path I go, on, he's my son. He makes me bloom. He, he he makes me grow. and 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 that's that path to glory in the end. Jesus gives me life. He's the life giver. So why should I not follow Jesus and listen to what he says? You know what? That's really what it means. We see Jesus for all he is when we get the glimpse of his majesty. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you, we get this glimpse, Lord, of who you are and what you've done and why you came, Lord. And Jesus, we find that in all of this, we are set on that path too as followers of you. As Luke writes here from last week until now, we see, God, that at this time you were on that path to Jerusalem, to the time that you would suffer and die for our sins. But that was, that was your plan. That was what the Father had put into place long time ago. And Lord, we know that our mission here may not always be filled with glory and great things and happiness in that way but there's still great things in that we find you even in our suffering even in our trials and challenges and as you as you lead us god you're still with us as you lead us you strengthen us and and you are our son, god as as a sun is to a flower you're strength god you you grow us you warm us lord and you give us life so tonight lord as we Look to you as our God, as our Lord and Messiah. As we get a glimpse of your majesty, may we follow you, God, and stick to the path that you, would, you have put us on. Help us not to complain, God. Help us not to be discouraged or disappointed, but help us to know that the vision you've given us and the mission, Lord, God, no matter the bumps or the potholes or, or, or how slippery the path might become, You're still there, and you have a plan in all of this, and you will fulfill what you've called us to do. So give us the strength, Lord, to keep our eyes on who you are. As we got a glimpse of you today, Lord, we know that you are God, you love us, and you care for us, Lord. We know that you have the power, and so, Lord, may our eyes be fixed upon you as we go along this path. And I pray for anyone here right now who's been struggling, God. Lord, you've given them a vision. You've spoken to them by your Spirit. You've prepared them for what's coming up. But it seems like it's not what they expected. Lord, I pray you'd encourage them right now. That sometimes, Lord, after the mountaintop experience, you know we have to go through the valley. But even in the valley, you are with me. Even in that, you protect us, Lord. So I pray for anyone here right now that may be struggling, that they would sense what your Spirit is saying right now, and that they would be encouraged by your Word. In Jesus' name, amen.